Good morning. Welcome to my home. My name's Travis Nichols, and I wanted to start a segment. I was talking to to a dear friend of mine who's a pastor, been a pastor for for a long time, and and I said, listen, I feel kind of led to not only share my story, but to start up um, speaking Sundays and just kind of digging into the word and and seeing what God has to offer us. And uh, he said, call it second chances. And I tell you what, how, how fitting that is, uh, not just for, for my life, for, for your life. And, and honestly, the, the culture and the, and the state of the, of the world that we live in, um, so desperately in need of, of second. And so I'm very excited to start today and, and continue and see where this goes. So um, before we get started, let's go ahead and open up uh, with a word of prayer and then and we'll dig in, okay? Dear God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for another day to be alive and and thank you for second chances. Uh, really, without the sacrifice that, that of your son, we, we would not be here today with the opportunity and the gift that you've given us to, to have eternal life and, and to walk with a purpose in this world. And so I, I thank you for that. Uh, on a personal level, and I thank you for uh, my children who are going crazy in the background. I thank you for for their life, their safety, and their health. Um, I pray that as we dive in today, that you speak to us and you open our hearts and and uh, you answer any questions that we have. And I thank you so much. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So I hope everybody is doing well with quarantine, as you can probably hear in the background. And my kids are crazy, right? They're they're bored. Everybody's a little stir crazy. Um, quarantining with, with children is, is a whole nother level for sure. I, uh, I can, I can admit that I've said things to, to smaller humans. That I never thought I would say before, um, you know, don't touch that. Don't lick that. Uh, don't put that in your mouth. You know, all sorts of crazy stuff, fun stuff that is very new in the quarantine. And as we adapted this, this new normal that we're in right now, I think that it, it really forces us to look internally. We have a lot of extra free time right now, and I know that you know my free time is is outside of Netflix, is is sitting around and writing, and and you have a lot of time to ponder and process all sorts of things. You know, I know stuff gets posted on social media, uh, you know, from a political standpoint and everything around that, and so you get a chance to really stop and think. And I know for me internally, um, you know, it's given me a lot of opportunity to think about. Uh, the choices I've made, the past, and, and how I got here. Um, you know, a lot of you don't know my my entire story, but you know, I haven't haven't made all the best decisions, and I truly feel blessed uh, to be where I am, to have life, to have my children, and it really would not be I would not be here with, without the grace of God. That's a, that's a hundred percent, and so uh, that's why you know a big part of me feels. Uh, led to to do this and to start this, and um, I'm a former youth pastor, and and uh, and so I definitely uh, have a passion for for the word, and um, you know because of the choices I've made, I wasn't able to forgive myself for a long time, and so um, I'm I'm grateful to be doing this uh, for sure. This is this is new, so um, if you have any tips or tricks as far as social media live goes, I greatly would appreciate that. Um, you know, so the first first thing I want to start on today uh, is is a story that I think the majority of the world is familiar with, um, but we're going to look 
uh, it's just one of the characters. Um, you know, so we're going to start with um, with the prodigal son today. And and yes, within the story, there there's you know there's three characters, um, but we're going to just focus on. Um, we're not going to focus on on the son that stays at home, but we're going to focus on the prodigal son. So, um, if you have if you have a Bible or an app, or just want to just want to listen, we're going to be um, in Luke chapter 15. We're going to start at the very beginning because, you know, like a lot of these stories, I think that having the correct context um, and, and getting a chance to look at who actually is is being spoken to in these parables, I think really helps understand uh, the, the meaning a little bit better and the purpose of it. So. Um, let's look at that. In verse 1 of chapter 15, it says that now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That would be Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Uh, so if we if we look at this, we're, we're given, you know, an idea he is talking to. So he's in a crowd. People are drawing near to him. But if we look at it, we're looking at more specifically, we have the tax collectors and, and sinners. Um and, and those are people that have known to be made mistakes. So, you know, anybody that's, that's done wrong, prostitutes, um, people that are thieves, murderers, all these people that haven't been caught for doing anything bad, they're all drawing near. But the tax collectors, you know, I think biblically or even culturally, we look at tax collectors and say, oh, they simply just stole money from people. And, and that was really their, their biggest crime. But if we look at the culture, we look at, at the Roman Empire and where it was at this time, Tax collectors were in charge of, of, of a province or, or a city or, or maybe even something a little bit bigger than that. And not only were they in charge of collecting debts and collecting taxes, but that where that money went to made them even more worse people, right? So that went to, uh, to, to fund an army, right? They, they really kept oppression and kept um, you know, doing harmful things. And then on top of that, they did take money for themselves. So they were they were mob bosses really kind of of their day. And, and so they weren't simply just stealing money. They were taking that money to do horrible things with. So um, when we look at that and, and we see the people that Jesus is surrounding himself with and allowing these people to get close to him to tell the story, it, you know, it really makes sense. Um, you know, the Pharisees were, were saying, this man lets all these people around him and eats with them. So there's a lot of judgment going on from the outside. Um so in hearing this and hearing the grumbling and, and complaining that the Pharisees, um, you know, were, were letting out, Jesus then begins to tell this parable. And in verse three, we see, uh, so he tells him this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he found it, found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So just as I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. So when we, when we look at why Jesus opens with this, um, he's definitely addressing the Pharisees without actually talking to them. He knows that they're listening, but they won't draw near because they're too judgmental, right? They're too good to be around um, the tax collectors and the sinners and the, and the dirty people that Jesus is letting around him. So when he tells them that, he says, listen, heaven gets way more excited for a lost soul that comes to heaven than the 99 people who need no repentance. So in other words, the good people that live the good lives, that, that don't have uh, horrible mistakes to repent from, he says, heaven gets more excited for, for, for the lost soul that returns 
than the 99. So he's definitely getting, he's setting the stage here. So he's drawing the Pharisees in. Now, the next two parables, we're not going to dive into with great detail. Um, he starts off uh, with the parable of the lost coin. So, um, you know, a woman that, that has has 10 coins and she loses one. She tears her house apart trying to find the, the, the lost coin. Um, and if we look at, again, the context of it, we see that it makes sense. So a, a silver coin, um, conversion-wise, would have been about a day's wage, right? So this woman has 10 days wages saved up. So she's not struggling. She's not hurting. She has plenty of money. Most of us uh, living paycheck to paycheck can understand what it's like to get to the end of the day and say, all right, I've got $10 for dinner. Let's rock and roll. Chick-fil-A is still having drive through Hallelujah, right? So we're going to go through that and, and, and handle that. So we would understand living paycheck to paycheck, losing money, how tough that would be. That would make sense. However, this woman's not hurting, right? She has this money. But in other words, she still flips her house around, turns everything, moves everything, looks in every nook and cranny until she finds this. And so Jesus again says in verse 10 there, so at, just as I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, right? Now, as we get into this, um, verses 11 through 13, we, I really want us to take a look at uh, the, the prodigal son, who is the younger of the sons, right? This guy has two sons. Um, so let's read 11 through 13 and let's dive into this. So in 11, Jesus says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided this property between them. Not many days later, the son gathered all he had and took a journey into far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So let's look at this a little bit because inheritance isn't something that we necessarily see a ton of. Um, in this day and age, unless, you know, you, you come from, from a wealthy family. But the way that um, inheritance would have been done uh, back in this time is, as you know, obviously the oldest son is going to get uh, the most benefit. Uh, and then every other son after that would have been given a, a smaller portion of that. So more than likely, the older son would have been given double uh, that, the, that the younger son was, was going to receive. So the younger son was probably going to get a third of it. So if we look at this, the, the younger son uh, is, is very childish. Usually an inheritance is going to be passed along, you know, farm, property, animals, money. Um, all, the estate would have been passed down when, uh, when the father passed away or was no longer able to handle it. Um, and so looking at this, 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 this guy's very childish. Um, he says, listen, I want it now. You know, I, I kind of wish that you were not able to live life so that I could have my money. Give me what's coming to me. Uh, and I'll take it now. Um, he's very ungrateful, right? He has nothing to, no desire or should have no desire to, to run away from the house that he lives in. Mm -hmm. Clearly his father is of stature, has wealth, and the son is taken care of. Um, but, but for whatever reason, the internal desire inside of him says, I think I can do this better on my own. I don't need you. Um, I, I want to, to leave. What's up, Trav? Uh, and, and so I'm going to be ungrateful and I think I can do it better than you. Um, so go and give me my money and and that's it. He clearly has an internal struggle um, that we're going to see a little bit later on in the story. Um, but but even from here, his internal struggle is is beginning to be known when he says to his father, give me my inheritance now while you're still alive. Um, I want to go out and I want to pursue the desires of my heart. Um, I'm not going to stick around. I'm going to take my money and I'm going to go. Um, so clearly he says, I want to venture out into the world. 
I think I can do it better than you. And I want to see what's out there. I want to, I want to spend my money on what I want. Um, and as we will see, a little foreshadowing, he's, he's eventually going to fall slave to his sin. So he allows his desires to overcome him, to make some rash decisions, um, and, and he's going to leave. And, and he does that so in, in a hurry. So obviously with, with the property and, and the wealth that his father had, it took him a few days to, to, to set it all out there. Um, and he says he took all he had into a journey not many days later. So he, he's not waiting around, right? This, this only took a few days. As soon as the dad said, boom, here's your stuff, homeboy dips out. He's gone. Uh, in verses 14 through 19, let's read this. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at it. So it said, and when he had spent everything, famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have enough more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So in verse 14, uh, you know, listen, I think this is, this this speaks volumes to where we are as a nation, not just individually, but, um, you know, if you, if you were to look at any of the big crises that our country has gone through, um, you know, we'll start most notably, I think, with with 9-11. As soon as that happened, our churches were packed, right, for a long time, for a few months after that. And, and really, when we're going through a struggle, right, that's when most people turn to, if you want to call it a higher power, they turn to a higher power. I call it, I call him God because I believe very, very deeply in God. But, you know, that's that's usually when we turn to God. Um, uh, our society has gotten really good at it. Hashtag blessed bought a new car, but we really don't turn to God to ask for help until it's something where we feel a struggle. And if you look in verse uh, verse fourteen, we see that now he had spent everything. This 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 dude went through his money super fast, you know. And it, we're going to see later on that he spent it on all sorts of great stuff, right? Drugs, alcohol, prostitutes, horrible investments, right? He gambled it away. So he had spent everything. And then on top of that, to make it worse, a severe famine is going to break out where he is. There, there's no food. There's no crops. There's no growth. So he does He does what he, you know, he says, oh, I'm in trouble. And so in verse 15, he says, it says he went out and he hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, right off the bat, that doesn't sound horrible, right? It doesn't sound awful. But again, look at who Jesus is talking to. Look at the culture he's in. He's in a Jewish culture. And so pigs and swine would have been disgusting to them, right? It would have been degrading even. So feeding the pigs would have been the lowest of the low. You would have had to have no pride whatsoever. You would have had to have said, I have nothing left. There is no other jobs. I don't even care anymore. I'll, I'll feed your pigs. In fact, in a lot of times, they the Jewish culture would not have referred to them as pigs. They would have called them something else. It wouldn't have even given them names. That's how disgusting and, and unclean this job would have been. Uh, when we look at 16, we can see exactly how bad his situation is and how poorly people viewed him. Um, so it says in 16 that he was longing to be fed um, with the pods the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. 
So his master did not deem his services worthy of enough food to sustain life. Nobody else cared about him either, right? So not only does this guy have nothing to his name, he is, he is working a job that is literally filthy and disgusting and degrading to the culture. Nobody values his life. No other human values his life. You know, the, his master didn't even feed him, didn't give him enough wages to buy food for himself. People passing by could have cared less. So he's eating whatever the pigs don't want to eat, which is not a lot. It, it's, it's disgusting. So then he, he starts to come out of his delusion, right? We can see in Ecclesiastes 9, um, back in the Old Testament, verse 3, that when, when, when we sin, right, when we chase the desires of, of our heart, our flesh, right, there's, there's, we're, we're in a state of delusion, right? And so he's coming out of this, right, leaving his father's house, asking for that. That would have been his delusional state right there. So when, when he's coming out of that, he realizes finally that, oh, man, home where I came from isn't so bad. Actually, it might be a lot better. He says, but when he came to himself, how many of my father's, father's hired servants have more than enough bread? I'm going to perish. I'm going to die here. I have nothing to eat. I, am, I have nothing. So he says to himself, I, so the people that my father pays to work in his fields, they have it better than me. Right? The people that my father hired to take care of his house, to clean his home, they have it better than me. Look at what it took for him to get to that point, right? And then look, in, look internally, like with yourself, look where we came from. You know, look at, look at how we were created. Why were we created? Look at what's being offered to us. You know, Jesus sent his son, or Jesus is the son, sorry. God sent his son to die on the cross, right? He gave up everything, went through this horrible torture that lasted for days, died on the cross. And he says, I do all that so that you have this free gift. And yet we still look at him and say, nah, I think I got this on my own, man. I would rather take my chances trying to feed pigs. When is it going to be enough for us? When are we going to finally look up from, from the slop that we're in and say, you know, I think, I think, I think Jesus might be better. You know, I think it, I think that that going home, so to speak, and, and giving my heart over, I think that that might be better than where I am now because I've struggled and I've tried really hard and I'm still eating after pigs. Right? And I tell you what, I've hit the bottom. And, and from a personal standpoint, uh, you know, you, you have to sometimes hit bottom to realize that, Jesus is, is going to be better. When we look at verse 19, uh, verse 20, excuse me. Um, actually, at the end of this, when he says, I have nothing, I think home might be better. You can only imagine that the crowd that Jesus is talking to, right? The, the Pharisees, the tax collectors, everybody is probably leaning in with an extra, extra wide ear saying, um, now his father's really going to make him pay for it. So the, the Pharisees are listening for that, listening for the judgment. They can say, I told you so, told you. And the tax collectors and the sinners are probably like, 
speaking from experience or watching from experience, this really stinks. Now, this is where this guy is really going to be made a slave. This is where he's going to have to do all this extra stuff just to earn his keep back. You know, and, and we would expect that, right? This guy told his dad, listen, I wish you were dead. Give me my money that, that I'm going to earn when you're gone. Let me have my share. He blows it in a short amount of time, embarrasses his household name. More than likely, people knew who he was. He's probably thinking, I'm going to have to earn my way back. I'm going to have to start off at the low of the low. So in verse 20, it says, and he arose and he came to his father. Now listen to this. This is something that is extremely important to, to understand here. The father is not, is not waiting to rub his nose in it. Because we see here, it says, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Now, repentance is a journey. It's not a sprint. It's something that takes a long time, right? This is indicated here by his journey home, his journey back to his father. And then during this journey, you know, we're, we have an internal struggle that they're dealing with. And in seeing our condition and our heart, we can see that the father feels compassion. Now, can you imagine if your child or a close friend of yours or a family member was to, to say, listen, give me what you owe me. I'm going to go out. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to make a fool of you. How are you going to react to that? You know, I think this is, is something that is, is hard to grasp. But I think we have to be grateful for the grace. Right? Look, look at what he, he, he does to his son. He says, while he was a long way off, he, he felt compassion and he ran to him. Right? He embraced him and he kissed him. And the son immediately says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he said, he's going to say all these things. Listen, put me to work. I'm not your son. All the stuff that we would expect to be told after making huge mistakes like that. But Jesus said, or the father says here, forget that. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the father completely erases the notion of, in order for God to want me, I'm going to have to complete a plethora of tasks, of good tasks, just so he'll want to be around me again wipes that away. He says, listen, you're not my servant. You're my son. And that's exactly how Jesus views us, right? When we take that journey of repentance and we're able to turn over our hearts, Jesus is waiting there the whole time saying, listen, you're not my servant. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want you. All I ever wanted was your heart. He says, I've been waiting a long time for you. I'm coming to you. You're my son. You're not a servant. Completely erases the notion that we can earn God's love. God doesn't need our tasks. God simply just wants us. He wants our hearts. Now, I'm not saying that when we make this journey and we make this, this decision to follow after God, that it's going to be an easy one. If it was, everybody would do it. 
But it's something when God says, "You, I want, I want all of you. I want your entire heart." And then for this scenario, this this prodigal son, it took him hitting rock bottom. And not everybody goes through a story like this, but in this specific instance, the people that he's talking to, this is hitting home. He's saying, I want all of you. And along this journey, along the journey home, which they don't delve into here, but if you can imagine a journey from this neighboring town home, there was probably moments where the son said, you know what, I would rather not have to go through this shame. I'd rather not have to go through the embarrassment of facing my father again. So I'm going to stop off here and call it a day. But when you have those moments and when you have those doubts, you have to think back and you have to remember where you've come from. You have to remember the bottom that you were just in. You have to remember the pig field that you were just eating from and realizing that, listen, there is grace in front of you, right? You don't have to wonder how God's going to react to you. He tells you, this is what this parable is for. He says, listen, I will be here for you. In fact, I will run to you. I'm pursuing you nonstop. And into the day and age that we're in, we're, I think everybody's looking for answers. You know, whether you you look for it in, in your money, whether you look for it in, in a relationship, everybody wants to be wanted everybody wants to be pursued with meaning behind it and and listen coming from from youth ministry <laughs> listen watching students is frustrating right watching how they act watching their social media listening to their conversations is is frustrating right they're all pursuing a relationship they want that boyfriend they want that girlfriend that's going to chase them down and say, I give up everything for you. And then, you know, they may think they found it and they're in love in a few days or whatever. And you're my before anyone else. You're my bae. You know, as we used to say back in the day, that shows my age a little bit. But everybody at every level is chasing that. I've come to find <laughs> that it's not just the students. It's, it's adults. You know, we're chasing something and we just want to be pursued in return. And, and we don't get it from people. We don't get it from things. As we see in the story, we don't get it from gambling. We don't get it from poor choices. The only place that we get that feeling of, of identity, that feeling of worth, is from God. And sometimes it takes the hitting the bottom, but... We have to realize that the only place we get grace, nonstop grace, right? That agape love, that unconditional love, that we will always be seen as sons and daughters of God. Our identity is wrapped up in Him when we decide to say, Here's my heart, take it, take all of it. You can't compartmentalize Jesus. You can't just give over part of your heart because he's going to work on you. He wants the whole, the whole thing. He's a jealous God. That's when you find redemption. That's when you find your identity. And that's when you realize this second chance doesn't come with strings attached. He doesn't say, you can come to me as soon as you look this way. As soon as you fix this in your life, you can come to me. Oh, man. He says, I, I want you right now. 
and I will mold you. I will change you. I will, I will make you feel ways that you've never felt before. I'll give your life true purpose, true meaning. And it's going to be funny because it's not the hashtag blessed way you thought it was, right? It's not going to be riding necessarily in that brand new car with millions of dollars. He's going to say, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you ways to feel worth that, that nobody else can make you feel. So as we wrap up today, listen, it's first week. Any feedback would be great. Um, I'm really just, just glad to be able to have that second chance, third chance even. You know, some would say that they know me. Um, I'm grateful that I don't feel abandoned when I think about all the poor choices I've made and where I am today and the fact that I still feel God's love. You can have that too, right? There is no, I'm too bad to come to Jesus. I've messed up too many times, right? That doesn't exist. Look at the people that hung next to Jesus on the cross, right? Murderers. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll, I know you. I'll see you in heaven. There is no, I've messed up too bad. I'm too far away. He's waiting. He will run to you. Decide to give over your heart. And you'll find your identity. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. I thank you for everybody that's tuned in in their lives. And I pray that... Um, as we move on with the rest of our day, that, that our identity is, is only truly found in you. This world can tell us what they think of us, who they think we are, who we should be, but you're the only one that really gives us that identity and that purpose. And I thank you for allowing uh, your, your son to come and die for us and give us this free gift. Thank you for life. Thank you for every blessing that you've given to us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. I'll see everybody.